Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning and the time that we just had in your presence. God, that for me, you were able to help me forget about my past week and draw me into an intimate time with you. Father, as we get into the time of the word and as we give into this benevolence offering, God, we pray that through all the tithes, the offerings, the benevolence, everything that we do here through our missions, God, that people would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God. We pray always that the kingdom of God come and be established here. That you give us wisdom in how to reach the lost, how to disciple the saved, how to help people to grow one step closer to Jesus. So we give into the offering, Lord, bless it. And give us wisdom in, in, the, in the soil that we need to sow, even in the benevolence offering, God. Father, I pray a blessing upon the word that we're going to get into today and upon this, this offering. God, as I preach the word, I pray that your words would come through, that the word of God would speak clearly to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Got to go on. If you're visiting this morning, in the in front of you is uh, some cards. Um, one of them is a connect card. There's also prayer and praise um, cards there. We love to get praise reports and prayer requests so we can pray with you and, and rejoice with you if there's something going on. Um, but there's also a connect card in there. It's just a little way we can get to know you. And um, so I'd love to have you fill that out and connect with us and see what's going on on our website and all of our life groups and things like that. We're in the book of First Peter this morning, chapter four. Only one chapter after this. We're going to be starting in verse 7. We're going to talk through 7 to 7.11 today. 7.11. That, that could be a good message, right? 7.11. I'm not really good with coming up with, with catchy names. Every once in a while I'll find one. A number of years ago I, I preached a message about Nicodemus and I called it Nick at Night. And, you know, that's about as creative as I'll ever get. And so... But we're in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. We've been going slow through the, through the word. We're, we're picking out verses. We're picking out things and ideas that, that um, Peter is trying to help us understand that the Lord wants us to know. And we talked about 7 already, but I want to go back there because this section 7 through 11 is, is tied together. We can't, can't separate it uh, one verse at a time. So we're going to start back in verse 7. Does anyone have a, a nice reading voice and was, would read the whole verse 7 through 11? That was on the spot. Would you like to do that, River? Thank you, River. That's excellent. It's one of her gifts. She's got a good voice. Woo. That's we're talking about this morning. But the end of all things is at hand. We talked a little bit about that last, last uh, two weeks ago. And remember that it's not just necessarily saying that 
we're right at the end of times because if, if he said we're right at the end of times, then Peter was wrong because he wrote this in about 64 AD, which is quite a few years ago. But part of the understanding of the end of all things is near is that we're living in the last days and that we're living in the last fulfillment of the scriptures where we're reaching out to the whole world. The, the goal is almost complete. We're reaching out to the whole world. Remember, the reason that Christ came you know, we always go, well, why did Jesus come? He didn't come to give us a better life here on earth. The Bible says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which were lost. Everything falls under that. We know that God gave us the great commission and the great commandment. The great, uh, the great commandment, love one another. Love God with all your heart. Love one another as yourself. And the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So this morning, we've got to keep that the end is at hand. We're living in this time, and so we've got to continually remind ourselves not to get off track, to be serious, to be sober-minded, we talked about, to pray, because we want to continue to reach the lost. We want to continue to do what God has called us to do. And, and today, especially in this culture, but we, this culture in America is now influencing the cultures all over the world. We are becoming so busy. I, I, I talked to way too many people, including myself. This week is especially super busy. How are you doing? I'm just so busy. Okay, we're going to just we're gonna say, who in here has been really busy lately? Right? Right? I mean, does it just feel like, holy moly. I don't know if moly can be holy, but goodness, we are, are so much busier. I also hear this, boy, it just seems like time is going so fast. I believe that time is going so fast because we're running so fast. And so we're, we're really busy. And, it, and this is a great way that the enemy comes in and he gets us off track. Because when we get too busy, we can't focus on the main things. There's a great couple of books out there, First Things First and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, both written by Stephen Covey. They're, they're a few years old, but they're still great books to have in your library because it helps you to focus on what are the first things in life. And, and one of the uh, chapters in there talks about the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent. Many of us, and I fall prey to this all the time, are is always living in the tyranny of the urgent. Urgent things are coming at me all the time, and I spend all of my time trying to solve the urgent problems. It's like getting stuffed into a room where there's this blinking red light that keeps buzzing. And all you can think of is, I've got to stop this red light from blinking and buzzing. And so we're always, we're always going after the blinking, buzzing things in our life, and we never slow down enough to say, should I take care of this light or should somebody else do that? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? The end of all things is at hand. Be sober-minded. Be ready. Remember we talked about how the, in First Peter earlier it talked about girding up the loins of our mind. We need to have our minds uh, focused and prepared and be serious about the things at hand. And so this is a reminder for us. 
don't just chase after everything going on. We need to be focused as Christians because the great commandment and great commission is that we would reach the lost, that we need to always be focused no matter what your occupation is, no matter what your vocation is, no matter how many children you have, that everything that we do, we're supposed to bring glory to God through our lives and to silence the buzzers in your mind and say, God, what do you want me to do? What is the greatest thing that I can be doing for your kingdom, for, my, for you right now? And if you're, a, if you're a parent, the very first thing you would say is raise your children well. Do a good job there. We don't abandon our families to, to chase the kingdom of God. That's actually heresy because the Bible says that we need to raise our children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they won't depart. So if you're a fa- if you're in the family, like my wife and I, are still we're raising our kids. We have four, and our youngest is only ten. And if you've if you've already gone through this process, you know it's a fight to keep, to n- not neglect the little ones. After you've raised a couple and they're starting to leave the house, the poor little ones kind of get left behind. And you're like, aren't you done yet? You know, especially like for us, we had them, our, our oldest is 11 years older than our youngest. And so we've been doing the parenting thing now for a while, but we're not done. So God keeps reminding Jan and I, don't stop yet. You're not done. So we need to be focused at whatever stage you're in, wherever. God, what do you have for me? How do you want me to live? And, and because the end of all things is at hand. So therefore, be serious which remember, we're talking about certain things. I'm not very serious all the time, and so we can have a sense of humor, but we need to be sober-minded. That's the other version of that. Watchful in your prayers, and here we go. Verse 8, this is where we're going to begin today. That was just the intro. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Peter, John, talk so much about love. Throughout the book of 1 Peter, we're talking about loving one another. John, who was the only disciple who, who wasn't uh, martyred for his faith, he died in exile. Um, I mean, he was arrested and exiled to the island of Patmos. He spent out his, his days of old age, uh, exiled in, in, on this island. And he wrote the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John towards the end of his life. Now, now think this. He, he walked with Jesus he saw the crucifixion. He saw the resurrection. He saw all of his friends being martyred. He saw the beginning of the church, the New Testament church, planted and beginning to thrive. And, and he was there. And I don't know if you ever like to sit down with, with older people and pick their brain and get wisdom from them. It's always interesting as people get older, they begin to focus in on the most important things. You know, think of deathbed conversations. Uh, you want to really find out what's important to somebody is find out what they're talking about when they're on their deathbed. I've never talked to anyone on their deathbed, and I've, I'm, I'm beginning to spend a lot of time with people in their last days. I've never talked to anyone who said, you know, I just wish I would have worked a little bit harder and made more money. You know, th- th- those things, they, they, they aren't important anymore. They begin to come back and they talk about I wish I would have spent more time with family. I wish I had been a better dad, a better mom. I wish I would have. And they become more very rich relational. John, in the end of his days, talks all about love. I said, John, what do you think about this? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. We could sing the song and then clap three times. (laughs) 
love. So Peter is talking about that above all things have fervent love one for another. 1 Corinthians 13 is, gives us a great definition of church. We're supposed to love one another. Now, we're supposed to love all people. God loved the whole world. He gave his only son. This scripture, though, is particularly talking about Christians loving one another. You know, I've, I've, I've seen in the church a tendency for some people to actually have more love for people outside of the church and little love and less love and sometimes even little love for people inside of the church. And Peter's, he caught on to that. He says, no, we need to have fervent love for one another. He's talking to believers about loving other believers. Sometimes we don't have as much grace with other believers. And I don't, I don't know why that is for sure. Maybe it's the same time. Sometimes you don't always have grace for your family members. I mean, if somebody, if a, if a neighbor comes over and spills a glass of wine on your white carpet, you go, oh, it's okay. Accidents happen. But one of your kids spill wine on the carpet and you beat them. There's none of that accident happen stuff when it comes, right? I mean, so sometimes we actually have more grace with outsiders. And, and Peter's catching on. He says, listen, have f love. Not just love, but fervent love. That's, that's a, a, a word that just really helps us to understand. It's drastic. It's, it's, a, it's full of life, and, and it's a purposeful when it's fervent. And so we want to have fervent love for each other as believers. That kind of love that's found in 1 Corinthians that's patient and kind. It's not jealous. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not selfish. We, you could look around the room right now, and you know, we don't necessarily need to do that because we don't want to catch anyone you know, looking at each other, but, and go, how am I doing so far? Am I showing love for one another? You know, there's, there's people you come to church with every week and it's the only time you see them. Are we, are we loving one another? Okay, this is a call from God. Now, there's a lot of reasons. One, we're going to be spending a lot of time together over the next few years and over the next couple millennium, you know. You know, I, I encourage you to get used to the people sitting next to you because you're going to be with them for a long time. Heaven's a long time. So we're, we're encouraged that way, but we're also encouraged because people are always looking at the church and they're always picking us apart. They're always shooting at us. You know, they're always all oh, Christians. They're not loving, and they're this, and they're hypocrites, and they're all of these things, and there's so many accusations. But so, so Peter's encouraging us, love one another. Have fervent love for one another. Why? Well, love will cover a multitude of sins. And that, that saying is, is, is a, loose, uh, a loose place from Proverbs. Um, but it's also, we believe it was a saying at the times that love covers a multitude of sins. And, and we have to under, understand that if I love you well, that's not why my sins are forgiven. That's not what this is saying. That somehow you can love somebody to make up for the bad things that you've done, that I've done. I can't just do a really good job at loving. You know, there's nothing I can do to make up for the bad things I've done. There's nothing that you can do to make up for the bad things that you've done. It's, it's human tendency, it's human nature to try to make up. And, and we see people, and, and often it's, it's, again, as they get older and older, some, some people are trying harder and harder to make up for the bad things that you've done. And it, as far as the sin goes, you can't do anything to make up for it. The only thing you can do is receive his sacrifice for your sins. 
Now, when it comes to relationship, there's a lot of things that we can and should do. We, we should be people who repent and, and, uh, and apologize and ask for forgiveness. You know, that we should be people who do that, who should, who should be really good at saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? In, in, in fact, we could practice right now, right? We're going to say this together. I was wrong. Ready? I was wrong. It's sometimes even hard to say that I was wrong. And, and every time we say these apologies, every time we have those relationships, it's important that we do that. We've got to remember that we keep our butt out of it. I was wrong, but get your butt out of there and just stick to the facts of I was wrong, forgive me. So yeah, we, can, we need to do those things and, and that, that will help. But love won't, if I do love you better, I'm not going to make up for the things I've done. I'm not going to receive forgiveness from God because I love you. So what's it, it's not, because the only way forgiveness comes is through Jesus Christ. Church, you, you need to know this. If you're visiting, if, you've, if, if you're just kind of checking the God thing out, you need to know that we can't earn salvation. Nothing we can do. We, we just have to accept what he's done for us. Now, that's hard for, for all of us, I think, and it's particularly hard for certain personality types, certain, certain people. Um, sometimes I call them tit-for-tat people, but even in a good sense. These are the people that you say, hey, you know, I'd like to take you out to lunch. And they go, oh, first of all, they're usually not good with that. But when you do, they either say it or within a week, they call you and say, hey, I'd like to take you out to lunch. Well, that's fine. You can take me out to lunch anytime you want. You can tell I like food. But you don't have to give, take me out to lunch because I took you out to lunch. We're not tit-for-tat people. See, sometimes we have to learn to just receive. And for some people, receiving is really, really difficult. So we need to learn how to receive forgiveness from God, how to receive forgiveness from others, how to receive gifts from others. So, so in, this, in this passage, we're not, we're, we're not talking about forgiveness from God. That comes from Jesus Christ. And all we can do is receive that and not try to earn it back. We don't have to earn it back. Now, when somebody gives you something, it's great to show appreciation for it. Um, you know, if somebody gives you a nice gift, one of the ways you can show appreciation is, well, of course, you can say thanks, and you, you could probably take good care of the gift. You ever give somebody something, and they just trash it, you know? Some of your parents maybe gave a car to your kids, something that, you know... But you ever give something and, and they just, every time you see them, it's getting more dilapidated. You just kind of go, oh, man, how does that make you feel? Oh. You know, when God gives us salvation and we just mistreat it, I think he feels the same way. It's a precious gift. We don't have to earn it, but I think he wants us to, to understand how valuable it is. So we don't earn our salvation by loving one another. So what is it? Love will cover a multitude of sins. Well, one of the things is love, love needs to, when we have love for one another, fervent love for one another, we'll actually go through the challenges a little bit better, and we're not going to hold grudges as much. So this is actually a statement of truth. When you love someone, you have more grace for them. Think back when you first were married. You had so much grace for your spouse. 
I had so much grace for Shannon. She had so much grace for me. What happened? <laughs> you know, you get into that, that relationship for a while, and pretty soon those things that you had grace for, you don't have any more grace. Maybe we're allowing the love to cool down, and we need to have fervent love for one another because when you have that fervent love, it covers a multitude of sins. I love watching, I love watching uh, new couples, and and you see the little things, and and, the, and you can kind of tell the things that bug the other one, but they just kind of smile and laugh about it. And I do I do premarital counseling and premarital coaching, and and I try when I get enough time with the people, I try to say you know these things that you're kind of laughing about, you know, in about three, four, five years, maybe only two, definitely 10 and 20, they're going to bug the snot out of you. <laughs> right now, your love is covering a multitude of sins. Right? You can follow? And so, so Peter is encouraging us, have love for one another, fervent love for one another, because when you do that, you're not going to be so easily offended. See, we're not supposed to be easily offended. If you're easily offended, you need to pray and, and get some help. We're not just, you just, you, you, we just got to work through that. As a pastor, I am working through that all the time. You know, the, they say that, the, and I don't believe that leadership is, is a, in a church is necessarily, you know, a, a high position, but the higher you climb on a ladder, the more your backside is exposed People like to shoot at you and do things. You know, and you, you, we got to develop thick skin. we got to develop a place where we're not easily offended. I'm really easily, I'm not easily offended with most people. But you know who offends me the most? It's my wife. But not because she does something wrong, but because I allow myself to be easily offended with her. Other people can say things and do things, and, I'm, and, and, and I'll come home and tell about something that happened, and she'll say, oh, my goodness, what did you do? I said, I smiled, and I prayed for them. And then she just says one little tiny cross thing, and I'm all bent out of shape. I was actually, I was a worship leader up, up in Oakdale, and uh, they hired me when we came off the mission field, and they hired me to help transition the worship from hymns to contemporary modern worship. The average age, this is not a joke, the average age of the people in the church when we arrived, I think was 61, the average age. Because there was a lot of 80-year-olds, there was like one 40-year-old, and everyone, I mean, it was an older church, and they had been singing hymns for 60 years. So my job was to take them as gently as I could and help them transition the church to a contemporary worship service. I was everyone's favorite person in the church. <laughs> I was absolutely destroying something that they held very, very, very dear. And I remember one day this precious, precious sister in the Lord, and I'm not being sarcastic. She was a precious sister. We're at the back of the church and we're talking about things and and uh, we kind of started talking about the worship, and she, she, was, she just says, you know, I just can't help but think that we've let Satan into the church. <laughs> <sighs> 
thank God I had been in prayer. And I, this was all about the, what the Holy Spirit was doing in me. And I put my arm around her. And I said, you know, Margie, I'm just so sorry you feel that way. And I loved her as best as I could. We, we, we need to pray that we can respond that way with people and love people so much. I saw their hurt. I, I knew that I was taking away something. And what we ended up doing, just so you know, is we ended up um, creating two services. We created a, a, um, a service for, for the hymns. We had a whole worship service of just hymns. And then we had Sunday school in the middle. And then we had a contemporary service at the end. And um, they were convinced that everybody would come to the hymn service. They just knew that everyone loved hymns. Well, there was like 12 at the beginning, and then 9, and then 7. And you know, it, was, it, was, it was going out. But we realized that we didn't want to take something away, so we loved them. So that's how we, we did solve that. But in the process, it was hard. Love should cover a multitude of sins. So we need to work on that. Fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable, verse 9, to one another without grumbling. Let me set this up. Remember, the Bible, we have to always ask, who was the recipient? Who was writing? What's the purpose of the writing? Understand the time frame. Um, the church is growing. Um, one of the things that was happening is that there were people who were obeying Jesus. Can you believe that? I mean, people actually who were obeying Jesus when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. There were lots and lots of people who were traveling, spreading the gospel. There were also apparently a number of people who were using that as an opportunity to gain money because shortly after the writing of this, the church made these decrees about who was a false prophet. And, and anyone who came to stay at your house, there was a rule in the church that says if they stay more than one day, they're a false prophet. If they ask for money, they're a false prophet. So, so there was also apparently people who were doing it for money. But, but there were people, they were traveling and preaching the gospel. And they were evangelists and they were ministering to people. And so part of the reason Peter's saying this is being hospitable to those that are Christians that are traveling. Open up your homes. Be hospitable. But he's also talking about it because in that day, the, there was no big church buildings. Yeah, there was hardly any buildings. I mean, there wasn't a 7-Eleven. I mean, everything was out on the streets. They, they sold their wares from their house. Everything happened around the house. So as a Christian, you had to open your home for the other believers to meet there. And not everyone lived real close. So, you know, sometimes people travel for a while, and so often included a meal. There was the, uh, the agape feast, and they were sharing meals. And so Peter's encouraging, listen, have the Christians, have the brothers over at your house, and be hospitable to them. I remember when Shannon and I first got married, we uh, hosted a Bible study in our house, and um, we, we, we tried to be hospitable. Uh, so we'd have snacks and we had things and, and, and we had, Shannon, how many people were at our, our first group? Like 20 or something, wasn't there on, on, on the Boulevard house? It was packed. We had a little tiny house. And so, you know, we were first married and we'd buy the snacks and we had our, our personal food. We kind of had that over in the kitchen. We had the snacks for the study. Well, there were some teenagers there. And, and they, would, they were like going over to our personal food and they were eating all of our fruit and our apples and our grapes. And I mean, and we got hacked off. We, need to, we needed to read First Peter. You know, because we, you know, we opened up our house, but there was times after it was like, did you see how much food they ate? And they're eating our food. It says, 
be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. This is starting to ring a bell. You ever, maybe it's you because it's been me. You know, I love to have company. Come and stay with us. I can't believe how dirty they are. He slept in till 11. They were up so late last night and they just ate our food. And then we say to them, come back anytime. <laughs> Some of us have the first part. We're hospitable but we don't have the second part without grumbling. And so Peter's connecting it. We're, as Christians, one of the, the virtues of, of all of us, and, and pastors, one of the requirements of being an elder and a pastor is to be hospitable. You gotta have, offer hospitality. But as Christians, this, this is going out to us. Be hospitable, offer hospitality without grumbling. Well, if we're loving one another fervently, the next part's going to be easy. Offer hospitality. So that's what we're supposed to be doing without grumbling. At the end, we're going to open the altars and we can all come and repent <laughs> and say, God, help me. But we're growing, right? We're, in a, we're, we're, we're growing in this. And, and, and he, the, he's working on our, on our character. He's working on our... On our uh, our lives to become what he's trying to make us and mold us into. Verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 11 ties into 10. I'm going to stop with just that. I want to talk a little bit about this morning for the next you know, 10 or 15 minutes before we close on, on this idea of gifts and and ministering them. He's telling us we need to, to pray. We need to love each other fervently. We need, we need to offer hospitality. And then Peter begins to talk about gifts. Now, there's a lot of talk about gifts in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a great place uh, to go and talks about gifts. And he actually lie, he itemizes them some of the gifts out. Talks about there's various gifts, and he itemizes a lot, of the, a lot of those gifts. But when you read other parts of the Bible, there's lists throughout the New Testament of different types of gifts of God. I want to tell you, as you read lists in the Bible, they're not exhaustive. If, they were, if, if there was like a certain set of gifts, every time you read about gifts, they'd get them all. But, but they're just throwing, they're just helping us to understand some of the spiritual gifts. And some of them are manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But first I want to see the second word in, the, in my version. As each one has received a gift. Everyone, every believer has a gift that God has given them. Everyone. There is not a person who, who is been born, who is, who is saved, who God did not give a gift to, a spiritual gift. So this morning, one of the things I want to encourage is that, that we begin to try to find those gifts. We need to find out what gifts, and, and some people have lots of gifts, but I believe every believer, we believe this at the church, every believer is gifted in some area. And, and, it's, and it's a great gift, and it's useful to the body. And it's our job to find out what that gift is so that we can do the next part. Minister it to one another. Use it to serve one another. Whatever gift that God has given you, you're supposed to use that to serve one another. Some of you already know your gift. Maybe somebody told you or you've just discovered that gift. Some of you are going, I just, I'm not gifted in anything. 
Now, that, that's been me so much of my life. I have been the one who said, I'm just a worm. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll just eat some worms and die. Yeah, low self-esteem. I'm, tell, I'm telling you the truth. I've, I've battled with low self-esteem my entire life. And, 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 and most of my life, I didn't recognize the gifts I had. It was probably, I was always looking at other people's gifts, thinking they were better gifts than mine, and that they used them better and all these things. And everybody has been given a gift. And God has put something in your life. But it's not for you. It's for the body. We're, we're in a time, and, and I think we have, we've always been in this time because we're human, it's human nature. So that's why Peter's reminding us, use it to minister it to one another. Often, the self rises up. God gives us a gift, and then self comes in. The enemy comes in, and our self comes in. And then we want to take our gift and use it so that we can feel better about ourselves, so that, that people can look at us and say, look at that gift. Isn't that a great gift? Now, the gifts that we were given are, are to be used to serve other people. Now, how do you determine your gifts? Well, one thing, you have to, you, you have to try some things. Anyone in here brave enough to say that, that you are athletically inclined? Anyone? So no, nobody's brave enough to say that? Okay, I, I have a feeling Warren is. I mean, he's got a big heart for, for sports and athletics. But, you know, there's some people that's like, you know, I just, it's not bragging. It's just saying I'm kind of athletically inclined. A anyone have a sport that they would say they're good at? Raise your hand if you said, I, I was pretty good at basketball. So it's okay to say that. Okay. How did you know that you were good at that? By sitting down on the bench going, I'm good at basketball. Wow. How do you know? I just know. I just know. Now, a lot of us think we're good at things just by sitting on the couch. We're watching a movie. We're going, I'm good at that. I could do that. No problem. But you found out that you were good at a sport, skiing or snowboarding, or you, that you had a good voice or something that you do well. The, those who've, who've actually tried, you had to try. Now, who tried to do something and found out they weren't very good at it? Okay. Probably more hands will go up. All right. You know, we, we think, oh, I'm going to try that. If you only tried once, you may not have given it enough time. Too often we quit early. So you know some of your giftings because you tried. Now, some of you have, I know a lot of people who tried. I'm using sports as an analogy. And, uh, you know, I, I skied and I played basketball. I wasn't really great at either one. Um, but, you know, I did okay. And so, but sometimes people find... You know, one sport, I, I, w I wish Mickey Hall was here this morning. Um, I, I believe Ryan s started trying to play baseball and things, and Ryan Hall, um, when he first started. And M Mickey Hall, they're the ones on the, on the uh, missions trip, and, um, you know, that's Ryan Hall's dad. He lives here in town, in case you didn't know that, that, you know, the, the, the marathon, the Olympic marathon runner is his son. Went to high school with, with Ryan. He was in one of our groups. But when he was tr trying to find his niche, I think he tried a few other sports. His, his dad played baseball and football and was really, really good. And so I think Ryan tried those things. We didn't have a track team back then. So he tried these other sports and eh, he was whatever. I don't know if he's very good or bad. He didn't find his niche until he tried a few things. And then he found out he was a runner. And, and, and his story isn't quite like Eric Little's, but it's kind of similar. You know, it's like in the story of uh, Chariots of Fire, Eric Little. 
I feel like I was built to run. But sometimes you have to try a few things to find that out and to find your gift, you know? Same thing with these, these gifts that God has given us. Sometimes you have to try some things out. You're going to have to volunteer to serve, and, and you're going to have to go on a missions trip, and you're maybe go onto the streets to see if you actually might have a gift of evangelism and, and, and work through these gifts. And there's so many different gifts, but you need to get out of your comfort zone and try and say, you know, I'm, I, I don't know what my gift is. And, and you're not relegated to one, by the way. If you found your gift, you, you might have more than one. There are some people who, who walk and use a lot of gifts and usually have strengths in some and some are, are weaker. But, uh, you know, you, you need to try that. And there's some things that we can help, you know, find. I, I heard this one, we're trying to find your gifts. If, if, if your, your sock drawers and all your drawers and all your desk drawers are a mess, you probably don't have the gift of administration. Because you need to be organized and focused and be able to administrate that. So there are some things you can kind of find out. You know, if you absolutely hate people and people hate you, you probably don't have the gift of evangelism. You know, I mean, you, there's, there's just some things that do go together. But, but there's a lot of ways to serve. And, and here, it, it's not going to give us a big list. So we're going to talk about, i got to hurry this up. Talk about that. So it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Your gift is to be used. You're supposed to be like the butler, the steward of your gift. So you're supposed to use your gift in the best way for the master, to minister God's manifold grace. So the I comes out of it really quick. There is no I in gift. Oh, wait, no, there is. We're supposed to minister God's gifts to us, which is, but the word gift in the Greek is, ex I mean, like, almost identical. It's the same part where we get the word grace. Gift and grace is, is in the Greek, is pretty much synonymous. So you, you have a grace from God, a gift from God, and you're supposed to use that as a steward to serve and to minister God's grace to other people. It's not yours for you. It's not mine for me. And then here goes, and it gives us two general categories of gifts right here. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Okay, I want to put this in context. This is talking about a gift, a spiritual gift of speaking. You know, it's okay to talk about the Dodgers. It's okay to talk about the game. You know, it's like, wait, is this the oracles of God? Dodgers are going to win. Well, I don't know if that's of God or not. So it's not talking about every conversation you have. We have rules. God gives us rules and idea for that. We're supposed to have grace with one another. But this is specifically talking about a gift. So if you have a gift that incur in, it includes speaking to people, whether it's teaching or preaching or prophesying or evangelism, and you're speaking for God, there's a lot of teaching the kids. Um, in a conversation with somebody at Starbucks talking about the things of God, okay, if you're on Facebook talking about the things of God, you're using a speaking gift. 
Okay, so I'm going to come in real hard here. Let's, I want to see this change in the body of Christ. If anyone speaks, and I'm going to include typing. They didn't have that back then. A lot of us are speaking through this. And I tell you, or, or this. More probably speaking through this. You know, you say a lot more with your thumbs than you would ever say with your mouth. So be careful. Be careful. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So if I could have had some background music right there to come in and be really heavy and dramatic, I would have. Why? Because it needs to, we need to feel this. Are you speaking for God on behalf of God as a Christian? Let it be as of the oracles of God. Let it be his words and not yours. Let's, let's use that gift. And, and you might be a great writer, a great speaker. Let's make sure you're using that for the kingdom of God, speaking the oracles of God. You know how many things go through my mind? I might have ADD. I call it ADSD. Attention Deficit Squirrel Disorder. <laughs> okay? That's me sometimes, ADSD. I, I mean, I, I'm sitting there having conversations with people, and 20 other conversations start flooding through my mind, and I got to focus to listen, and I got to, you know what I have to tell myself often? Shut up, Rob. <laughs> I tell myself all the time in conversations, not as often as I need to, shut up. They're talking now. You're listening. Give it a moment. Is this my word or is this God's word? Is this what God wants to say right now or is this just I need to get something off my chest? If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers. Now, so we have speaking gifts and then we have serving gifts. Ministry is, is the same kind of word where uh, being a deacon comes from. It's serving others. Often includes serving with your hands and doing something physical for the body of Christ. If anyone serves, ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Okay. Well... I don't always know how to differentiate the supplies that God gives me compared to the supplies that I've honed in myself. You know, you've lived for a while. You can do certain things. And so what we're, we're supposed to use it all as God has given us the ability to do it. And then, and then it says, okay, so that's easy. So, you know, for those who are serving, it sure seems like a lot easier to serve than it does to speak. Wouldn't you agree? Like, oh, man, speaking, I'm speaking the oracles of God. There's a heavy weight on that. If I'm serving, I just have to use God's service. And if I can do it, he probably gifted me to do it. So that's great. But then it goes on. It says, no. Um, if he ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Oh. Over here, oracles of God. Over here, what I'm doing better glorify God in my service, in my action. That means that there's a responsibility on, in, in our lives that what we're doing for God to one another needs to bring glory to God. And I'll tell you what, our lifestyle and the way we think and the way we talk is what's going to really help our service, whether we're grumbling. You know, you ever have, have, a, have somebody come and... Uh, you know, if they're in the world, it doesn't matter. You ever have a Christian come and do something for you, with you, and during the process, they're helping you, and it's kind of great, and all of a sudden, they start gossiping or backbiting. 
talking about how bad their pastor is or something else. Sure, they're doing something for you. They're fixing your car. They're helping you on a project. But that moment that they begin to defame other people or live outside or talk about how drunk they got or whatever it was, and, and you just kind of go, oh, you know, I appreciate the car being fixed, but, you know, tracking with me a little bit I, I, that's happening see as we go and serve even with our gifts we're supposed to bring glory to God so our life should be always bringing glory to him not to ourselves whether it's a speaking gift or a ministry gift and and he sums everything up in these two there's wow and, and I th- it's probably pretty accurate because you're either talking or you're you're physically doing something and we're supposed to be doing those things and I encourage you could read first Corinthians 12 and uh, Romans chapter 12 also talks about some of the gifts we can't can't get into those we want to serve others with our gifts not ourselves we want to bring glory to God in all things. And, and it closes up, and here's the, the ending part, the doxology of this section, if you will. It's a great word, doxology. The ending, closing time here. He says, all this stuff sums up, he says, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever it belongs to him church everything belongs to him if we, if we keep being serious and sober-minded and keeping our eyes on him knowing that the end of things is near that he's given us gifts and we're, we need to use them to serve the body to serve one another we need to to bring glory to God in our service and speak the words of God because to him belong all glory there's a story in Matthew chapter 20. You know one of the things I like about the disciples? They were all boneheads. <laughs> I fit right in. I mean, look at the disciples. Look at the women who came and followed Jesus. They were a mess. I mean, we have two of the guys who don't even have enough moxie to ask Jesus for something so they get their mommy to come and ask Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, verse 21. Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons. Okay, now we know that moms do a lot of things way out of place. You know, like, like sometimes, you know, if, if she wasn't restrained, your mom would go to your boss at 40 and say, my son deserves a raise, right? I mean, this is what moms do. But she came with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him, from Jesus. And he said to her, I, I love Jesus. You, you know, he's like, like we are with our kids when we know what they're going to do. And he says, what do you wish? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know when a kid comes up to you and you already know what they're going to ask. But you make them tell them anyway, says what I do. So what do you want? Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Twelve disciples. Remember, this is kingdom living. They understand the idea of kings. Left hand and right hand, places of authority. This isn't just like, can I sit next to you on the car ride? This is like, you know, this is big. Grant that my sons, one on the left, one on the right. Why? 
And they were right there. And they were in agreement. And here's why we know that. Jesus said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I am about to drink? He's not talking to mom. He's talking to the kids, and they're not young. They're, they're adults. And be baptized with me, the baptism that I'm baptized with. And they said to him, yep, that's us. We are able. They wanted this position too. Why? Because self always creeps in. Self always creeps in. Walking with Jesus, seeing the miracles, and they go, man, let's be his right and left-hand men. It's a struggle, and the struggle is real. We fight down our pride all the time, and we say, if I speak oracles of God, if I serve, bring glory to God, I'm going to love fervently. I'm going to show hospitality. I'm going to be sober. I'm going to be prayerful. I'm going to be serious sober-minded because the end of all things is near. We're going to administer God's grace in its various forms to everyone we come in contact with that whoever we come in contact with, including us, might grow one step closer to Jesus. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, your word is amazing. It cuts through and divides soul and spirit. It cuts through the joints and marrow. It judges our thoughts and our attitudes, the Bible says. Father, I pray that this word has done that today. I know it's done it to me. Pray that it's done it to all of us, that we might continue to grow in our faith, drawing closer to you, becoming more and more of what you've designed us to become, your disciples, free from sin, free from guilt, free from bondage, ambassadors to this world, light bringers. God, I pray that each of us would be encouraged and challenged to continue to bring the light and to speak your words and to live to bring glory to you. Strengthen us all in the Holy Spirit because none of this is possible without Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.